What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalau, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky-ass hijinks, depression, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, I'll be honest. I feel a little nervous being on the other side of this table from you. A little timid. You're already rocking back and forth. Channeling my inner Leo Mazzoni. <laughs> I, I, I thought today's Wednesday. Falcons game was Sunday. Um, I was hoping that, you know, by taking a few days off, you'd come in, you'd have a clear head. Things would have passed from where you were on Sunday when we were together to watch that game. Um, one of my favorite moments of watching the, the post game with you, there weren't very many good moments. It was a pretty shitty feeling. But me watching you slowly get out of your chair to retrieve your phone that you had chucked under the bushes. <laughs> yep. That was quality. That was, that was pretty funny. <laughs> I did enjoy that. I think uh, I threw my phone after the field goal was made at the end, even though I knew what the outcome was going to be at that juncture. It was either then or it was, I think it was when our Atlanta sports thread was going off and people were blaming Matt Ryan on the loss. Ridiculous. <laughs> I think that's when you're like, I'm done with this. You know, yeah, because you know what? For the, the drive that should have been the dagger to the heart, when we got the 39 points, he converted two third downs and a fourth down and got the touchdown. So it's like Matt Ryan did everything he needed to do in that game. You can argue that, yeah, we could have put up some more points when we got those turnovers. We could have gotten more touchdowns. And you can also say, hey, we haven't scored in the third quarter all year. Fair criticism. However, when you put up 39 points, you should win the game. And in fact, teams have gone, what's the, the stat that's been going around? 444 or whatever, 440 and 0 or whatever. When you're when you score 39 points and do not commit a single turnover. Um, Matt Ryan also threw four touchdowns on the day. For those of you who miss it, the Falcons lost. Yes, to the Dallas Cowboys, 40 to 39. 40 to 39. Which your prediction was pretty spot on. You said we would put up 38 points and lose. Although you said they would put up 50. Right. Which probably would have felt better. Almost. If they hadn't had such a disastrous first quarter, it might have happened. Right. Really, just first half in general. Dallas commits, what, has four fumbles, loses three of them. We convert points on all of those turnovers. It was really just the second half. It was like everyone got wasted because they were so happy we were up and decided to just not give a shit. It seemed like the offense and the defense just completely shit the bed in the third quarter. Uh, Dallas scores a touchdown. It feels like within two minutes. Or something. Because I think we had turned on the Braves game for a little bit at halftime, and I was cooking and running around. Oh, we were everywhere. having a grand time. We were having a grand time. We were having so much fun. We were drinking. We were taking half. shots of peanut butter whiskey. Uh, you know, it was, it was a. It was I was a, pretending to be King of the Hill, drinking beers in the alley while Jeff played the King of the Hill theme song. Yeah, that was good. It was magical. Sure. We even did everybody lines up in front of the fence and does a yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was good times. Yeah. Maybe we need to be more miserable and on edge the entire time of games, even when things are going well. Well, that's the thing is that, you know, as an Atlanta sports fan, no lead is safe in Atlanta. We know this. But you just felt like just the energy of the team was so different in this game. Uh, We did not come out flat. Defense came out forcing pressure on Dak Prescott. The offense came out and converted their first four attempts for points, two touchdowns, and two field goals. We were holding Zeke. We were forcing fumbles. Um... It was just completely the antithesis of the Seahawks game where we came out just lethargic and full of shit. 
And Dan Quinn summed it up, even though it's like astute observation, Aristotle, you fucking idiot. Bro. But he said, uh, yeah, bro, when he said to the team apparently after the game, we can no longer have a tale of two halves. As if this is some relevatory goddamn mantra or something. It's just empty platitudes, empty observations. What are you going to do about it? He's had years, years to clean this bullshit up ever since the damn 2018 season. Flat, flat, flat. We come out flat. Or there comes a point in the game, like the third quarter, where we just, we do not adjust. We get punched in the mouth and we can't adjust. It's like there's no consistency with this football team, and it's very frustrating. And it starts at the top with Dan Quinn, the biggest joke of a fucking coach the Falcons may have ever had. Because even though we've had worse teams, we've never had a team with so much talent underperform so greatly. And to me, that is just unacceptable. I've got two questions for you based off what you've just said. Number one, what's a platitude? Platitude? I mean, I, I could take it from context, but sure. I, I'm just not sure if that's a real word if you made it up. Oh, it's a real word, Bo. Are you looking it up? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a statement, really. Um, yeah, it's finally wooden. Yeah, it's just like a, a, a statement with a moral content that has been used too often or to be interesting. Oh, it so sounds, it's just like... Sounds like you used it perfectly. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, number two, so you think that... You would take Bobby Petrino right now over Dan Quinn? Well, the thing with Bobby Petrino is that he inherited a shit show. He inherited the, the year the Michael Vick scandal happened. He never had a snap with Mike, had a horrible defense, and had Joey Harrington as his quarterback. Now he is a piece of shit for leaving in the middle of the night. I'm not talking about the content of his character. Uh, whereas I think Dan Quinn, like I tweeted, fuck Dan Quinn as a coach, not as a person. So, mate, Bobby Petrino was a shitty person. Was he a bad coach? I don't know because, you know what, that was a bad football team. So maybe the perfect combination would be Bobby Petrino, the coach, Dan Quinn, the person. Perhaps. I mean, they're two totally different schools of thought in the sense that Petrino's more offensively inclined and Dan Quinn, although you wouldn't know it considering how shitty we are on defense, especially over the last three years, is defensively inclined. Yeah, the whole Dan Quinn coming from like being a defensive-minded coach is just – so strange. Like, yeah. We've never had a good defense. No. And the only year we had a decent defense with him, like a full year, was that 2017 season where Sark first came on board. And we had like kind of like a top 15 defense and it was okay. Yeah. And it was solid. It was good enough to, to get us in the playoffs. But you look at just the way he is just such a poor, poor developer of talent. You, you, you look at Isaiah Oliver. And he is literally, there's it's a deep pass, and he's not looking at the ball, and he's just throwing his hands all up in the air, his back to the football. Yeah, not playing it's the just ball like, at all. Yeah, and then you see, like, um, you know, we play these zone cover twos where we have our cornerbacks in the flat, and they're sort of just looking to try and cover one or two different receivers with no help, and the safeties are playing so far back that they can't really help them with anything underneath. And it's just like, I, I don't know what, what Quinn's trying to accomplish here. It's like he's trying to take his Seattle defense, but he doesn't have the personnel to run it, uh, especially with this super young secondary that is still missing Kendall Sheffield, who hasn't played a snap this year, who was, I think, our best young corner last season. And now you got Terrell, who's only two games in, or I guess one game in by the time. He had time a good that, game, though. He, well, yeah, I mean, it was okay. 
But I'm just saying, like, Isaiah Oliver. I threw it his way three times. They had, like, 20 receiving yards on him. Yeah. I mean, he, he did a decent job. But he, he looks like a football player. Yeah. But I still worry about his development, you know. Under Dan Quinn. Right. I mean, and I, Oliver's just been a disaster this year. You go back to the name DK Metcalf touchdown on fourth and five last week, and then you look at just the game he had. I mean, he was thrown all over. Do you know if Sheffield's supposed to be back? He's apparently not looking good for this week, according to Dio Orlando Ledbetter. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Where I stand now on Dan Quinn, yes, it's clearly time to move on. Like, anybody that sees the talent we have, like, that's the frustrating thing about this. We have talent on both sides of the ball. Like, our offense last week puts up 39 points. You can't blame the offense at all. You put up 39 points, you should win. You got a defensive-minded coach that's been in the league for, what, five, six years now we've had Dan Quinn as our head coach? I think this is his fifth year. We start, He started in 2015. So however you want to count the years, Adam. Right. Five or six years. Combined, him and Dimitrov have made enough terrible decisions drafting cornerbacks that don't pan out, players that don't develop, that we see do decently in other places. And it's just the message is not sticking anymore. The little catchphrases work for like a little short gut punch. But at the end of the day, you got to be prepared. The onside kick, that shows exactly that at the end of the day, our players aren't prepared for the most basic of plays. What happened on that was, I think our hands team that was out there thought that they were on the kicking team. Clearly with the way they reacted to the football. Because, Graham, let me just break an onside kick down for you, okay? Please do. So you got Youngway Koo. And that could be the problem, is that we're so used to recovering onside kicks on the offensive side or defensive side. The kicking, the kicking side, team. The kicking side. <laughs> there we go. Uh, those players are probably recovered balls for young ways. They're like, okay, cool. The ball's got to go 10 yards, and then we can touch it. But when you don't have young Waku kicking it to you, you can jump on it immediately before it hits 10 yards. Absolutely. Uh, and just the fact that he took a timeout before that, and they still screwed it up. But regardless, I mean, that play didn't lose us the game. Just being completely unable to make any stops in the second half. Yeah. That's what loses the game. And my only concern, I don't think you fire Dan Quinn on the spot. What what can he do to – what warrants him keeping his job at this point? Blowing a 20-0 lead and then not being able to get his players ready for onside kick and having a defense that is just arguably the worst in the league when it comes to at least the secondary. Maybe we blow out the Bears. I just think you, you don't you still don't make the completely rash decision. If we go 0 three, he's done for. That's not rash at that point. I just think when you see that that just ability, you know, we talk a lot about teams that find ways to win the Patriots historically, the Seahawks, whoever, Aaron Rodgers, Packers, etc. The Falcons are the inverse of that in the sense that they find ways to lose and have done so. For a long time, their franchise, but it's just it, it continues, and I don't think it's ever been worse than it has been under Dan Quinn, because yeah. we shouldn't be having these conversations with this with with the a lot of the talent we've assembled here, and it's just like that onside kick to me is the worst play in the history, maybe the worst play in the history of Falcons football in the sense of just the ineptitude. It's literally a play that you nearly can't fuck up unless you have Young Waku kicking the miracle onside kick. Jaden Graham. 
was literally hovering over the ball and watched it trickle through his legs. There was no one around him, and he just stood over there and looked at it, stood over the ball and looked at it, and was just, he could have just easily fallen on that, and that's the ball game. Well, they were anticipating the high kick, Graham, not the low kick. You just go at the ball, man. Go at the ball. There's well, you, no, you understand there's, the mentality. I, I the, don't understand the mentality of sitting around like a bunch of idiots. Because if you touch it, as soon as you touch it, yeah, you can get fucked up. Team. I understand, but it's 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 squibbling around on the on the ground. You got to do it. Yeah, like Graham had the opportunity to jump on it because the Cowboys ran past him. The Cowboys ran past him, and this is not to take blame from other players, but Graham was the first guy at the football, let it go through his legs, and stared at it like a fucking dingus. Like it's just inexcusable to me. If I'm Arthur Blank and I see that, not only like you're gone, you're gone. You clearly don't know how to coach up your players. They don't know basic football. That is fucking ridiculous. And, and on top of that, Arthur Blank goes on Sirius XM on Monday, and I actually listened to it, and uh, he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically that, you know, from his perspective, it looked like the players didn't know the rules. And so Arthur Blank, the owner, is literally calling out the team saying that they don't know the rules. That's got to, I mean, but at the same time, it's like, Arthur, please just get rid of this clown. What can he do to, to hold on to his job at this point? Like, are you fucking kidding me? There's nothing, there's no hope left in this fan base. Yeah, at what point do you start to lose respect for Arthur as an owner and question his decision making? Beyond. Because you have to, you have to make those tough calls. I understand he's great friends with Dan and Thomas, but if I don't show up for my job for a couple days, I'm probably getting fired. Yeah. If you uh, you have to perform, yeah, um, I would imagine if the, the the parking deck is is just malfunctioning and you don't do anything about it and you're just sitting there on your ass, oh, you're I'm, gonna get fired. I'm fired. Yeah, <laughs> if you're building ladders as you do for your job, sure, and you build a shoddy ladder and someone falls off, you know, and breaks their ass, you're you're gonna get canned. This sends a message to the fan base that Arthur Blank only cares about the bottom dollar if he's not firing Dan Quinn and. He should have fired Dan Quinn long ago. I'll give you 2018 in the sense. I'll give you 2018 in the sense that there's a shit ton of injuries. But 2019 starting out one and seven is inexcusable. Should have been done. Should have been done. Well, it's not. And the, if you really want to complain, should have been fired after the Super Bowl. Well, it's not the bottom dollar. It's all he cares about. Uh, all he cares about is making money. But how is Dan Quinn making the team money? He's not. He's but but and it's not team. about the product on the field, Adam anymore. It's about the stadium. And selling tickets and selling those, those well, you sell you know. more tickets if you have a good coach. Well, that is true. So it's not that he cares about the bottom dollars. But I feel about. like he just he's, he's more concerned with these big sponsorship deals, Mercedes Benz, his new stadium, and he talked way more about Atlanta United in this fucking interview than he talked about with the Falcons, which I thought was hilarious. So it just seems to me like his priorities just aren't in line. That it doesn't matter as much about winning as it does about just having a brand or something. I don't know. Like if he cared about winning, Dan Quinn would have been fired. A long time ago. He doesn't give a shit. And if he thinks, like, he just, and he has, as you, and as you said, I think he has a relationship with Thomas and Dan Quinn that just gives them so many outs that unless you go Owens, like, if we had gone 1-15 last year, Dan Quinn would have been fired. But it's just, you know, if you, if you, you keep saying, like, like he keeps saying, like, you know, continuity is important, blah, blah, blah. Well, what has this continuity brought you other than pain and suffering and a one-off chance at the Super Bowl? Dick. Experiment's over, Bo. Yeah. There's no other way. 
I don't care if we go 14-2 and two at this point. Like, fuck this shit, man. No, oh, that's a different story. And I know that's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. I, I always like to take, it's like, look, we're two games in the season. Uh, the Saints lost. Drew Brees looks human. Uh, we're only one game back from the division lead. Like, mathematically, obviously, we're very much still oh, in sure. The season's not over. Uh, things could turn around. But also, just like as a fan watching this team, like, you never – like, I, I walked away from that onside kick because I just knew in my heart that they were going to get it. Like, doesn't I didn't realize it would be like that, but I knew some way we were going to find a way to lose. Yeah. It seems to be what we do. We can't put teams away when we – like we kept preaching that first half, I kept standing up, say stop on their throat. Right. And sometimes you settle for the field goal. It just, we just don't have that killer mentality. Like no. you look at the Patriots. Former intern Jared always talks about the Patriots, their killer mentality, stomping on their throat. They move on from Tom Brady, plug in Cam Newton. You take one look at that team. It's like that's a playoff team. They're, yeah, even they're though, a well-coached team. Yeah, even though they lost last week, it was still like a good game. It's not like they were blown out or anything. It's like came down to the last play of the game. Like you could plug tough shit. I just think if you plug in a real football coach into this roster, we're in business. That's why I'm saying it's like before the season is lost, before we go to Chicago next week and go 0 and three and lose in some ridiculously stupid way, like we all know we're going to. Can we please, please just? Let someone else that's not Dirk Cutter coach the fucking team. But, I mean, it's going to be like Jeff Ulbrich. Maybe they'd like that guy. I don't know. Well, Jeff Ulbrich is the guy if Dan Quinn comes down with COVID to take over the team. Apparently. Okay. So, so he'd probably be the interim coach. Yeah. But, and, and then probably do well and get a full-time job. Yeah. And I just don't understand also Dan Quinn's decision to go for a two-point conversion when we're up by like 20 points. Yeah. That just one. get the points. Like, what the fuck? That one. I mean, we were complaining about it at the time. It doesn't make any sense. No. It's like, I only think you really need to go for the two-point conversion if you're down. If you're down, I get it. If you're not down, get the points. Get as many points as you, uh, that are pretty much guaranteed you. Not to say that an extra point is guaranteed, but it's a heck of a lot easier than a two-point conversion. Like, you could, the, the strangest thing about that is you could argue that Dan Quinn was the better coach in that game. Yeah, Mike McCarthy made a bunch of stupid decisions. Yeah, like that, that, that whole... Two obvious fake punts yeah. that were horrible. And going for... Going for two when you were down, they were down what? Uh, when they were down nine, that nine, that's when they went for two. Yeah. Instead of saving it. Yeah. Um, Which failed. Yeah. But still, somehow, Dan Quinn found a way to blow it. Yeah. He's just a loser at the end of the day. He is, he is a loser coach, and he has brought a loser mentality to this team. And there are multiple examples of this. And I can't think of anything positive to say about him. There's nothing positive to say about him at all as a football coach. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. He seems like a great person who does a lot of shit in the community, who is well-respected, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes down to what he needs to do for this organization, he doesn't do it. And I just cannot be fed this pig slop anymore. And that's what it is. It's pig slop. This, this team is pig slop, and it shouldn't be. You want to talk about any of the positives of what we saw? I'll say this about the defense. Both weeks they've done pretty a pretty good job at containing running backs. You know, Zeke only runs for like 85 yards, which is great for him. I know Chris Carson didn't run for Dick last week. So, I mean, 
in that respect, they did a decent job. I will say it was a little disconcerting that we did not get more pressure on, on Dak, particularly in the second half. I know we also had injuries uh, to Foyer, uh, Foye Luicon. That one really hurt. Ricardo Allen and somebody else that's escaping my mind for some reason. Oh, and Tack McKinley. So we, we were missing those guys during various parts of the second half. And so that definitely, I think, took the win of our sales a little bit. Yeah, losing Foye really hurt because he was playing like a man possessed. Yeah, he forced he like, two of the fumbles. Yeah, I mean, he's... Punched one of them out like a fucking Muhammad Ali right. It was beautiful. Yeah, it's impressive. He, he's really developed. Uh, yeah. Which, okay, I'll give Dan Quinn that. He's helped develop Foyer into a decent player. Yeah, I mean... He, but he's like one for 50, so whatever. He looked great. Um, Deion Jones was sitting on a blitz and got a sack early on, which was nice to see. But overall, that defensive line... I mean, we had one sack, and the Cowboys were down. They were They had two backup offensive tackles. And, and their center, apparently, is a very mediocre center. So we should have made some moves there. Yeah. Uh, on the positive, like I said, 39 points on the offense. You can't put it on them. Uh, offensive lines looked really good. Even losing McGarry, Matt Gonneau stepped in, and he looks like he's going to be a football player. Yeah, he looked good. He had a great game. And Matt was Matt only sacked only got, one time. Yeah, he only got sacked once. He had some pressure, but it wasn't, like, overbearing. He was able to, you know – play his game so uh that was nice to see in terms in the sense of like matt ryan was getting sacked like six times and hit 15 times and all that shit like you know like we're so used to seeing so that's a positive coup um, four for four coup was great calvin ridley is leading the league in touchdowns and receiving yards he has been absolutely on fire yeah he's a number one receiver burning corners i don't think he's number one over julio overall no, but he is a number one on a lot of teams yes he, he definitely would be um he looks good. Russell Gage has continued to impress. Another really solid game for him. Nine targets, six catches, 46 yards, and that should have been a decisive touchdown at the end of the game. Really at 109 yards and two touchdowns. And your boy Hayden Hurst finally busted out. Five catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. So, Yeah, I think Hurst's role is only going to go up as the season goes on and Matt Ryan gets a little more comfortable with him. But you can see he's got more speed than Hooper yep. ever did. Um, so it was great to see that big play, and I think – Perfect pass right to him. Great catch. Uh, blown coverage by Dallas. But that was nice to see because that fooled me. That was really, um, you know, we set up. There was only one receiver. And Hurst started as a blocker and then busted out. Just went straight up the, the middle offensive line. A good job blocking. Matt was able to hit him perfectly. Um, but it was like, that was a creative play call from Dirk Cutter. And I was like, where the hell is this? Been he had a I think we got to give Cutter a little credit. He had a couple of those. The, the Russell Gage should have been touchdown pass to Julio as well. I will condemn that decision because even though it was a perfect pass by Gage and hats off to him, I mean, that was like a Mohamed Sanu-esque receiver pass. I mean, I don't know if anyone could have thrown the ball better maybe in the NFL. I mean, that was a perfect pass. But um, that was on fourth down, wasn't it? That play. I remember you condemning it at the time of the game, and I don't understand how you. No, condemn. it was third. It was third down. But how do you condemn? A I condemn that call? because it's like you're up. Just get the fucking first down. Don't get cute. How many times have you seen us try to run it up the gut and just get completely? I'm stuck? not saying you have to run it up the gut. You can do a short pass to Hurst. You can do some of the really. You got the weapons to just get a first but down. But the play worked. It worked, but I would rather not do that when I'm up, like that. Or if I'm up. Well, that sounds like a real Dan Quinn mentality. 
Well, Dan Quinn is known for being too aggressive, and that was too aggressive of a play call. Yes, Julio should have caught it. There's no excuse for that, and we caught him off guard. But at the same time, it's kind of like driving drunk and you get home and everything worked out. This time it didn't. cost us, you know, who knows what could have happened on that drive. But and I'm not trying to take any blame away from Julio. Julio completely botched that. That's on him in terms of the actual execution of the play, but I just still don't think we should have called that play in that scenario. I think you got to be aggressive sometimes. and That was not the time to do it, though, when you're up by double digits. It just Because just, that just gives the team the football back and gives them more clock to work with if it doesn't work. We'll disagree on this one. Fine. We'll leave it at that. I don't think we can point to that, even though you could say, oh, if we scored that touchdown, you know, we would have won a game. Yeah, you could say that, but it doesn't come down to just that. That's the point. If, if you need your team to score more than 39 points, then you're fucked. Yeah. Like I said, I'm in a very sick position in my head where I want to blow the whole thing up. I said this last week, and I'll repeat it again. I think you could get, if you got a second-round pick for Sanu last year, I know that was just with Belichick, but you can easily get multiple first-round picks if you were to trade Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Grady Jarrett. Oh. And just like truly embrace the suck, not the Dan Quinn version, but the real suck. Trade anyone of value or anyone that is old, Blow it up. Blow it up. Blow the whole thing up. Build it up with someone who actually knows how to build a football team that isn't Thomas Dimitrov. Build it up with someone who knows how to coach a football team that isn't Dan Quinn. And get it right. That's the thing. I just don't trust anyone to get it right. But do you trust what's happening now? Do you think, like you said, if someone else comes in here, are we going to be able to operate with this roster as currently constructed? I think so. I like our roster. I'm still very concerned about our secondary. Our second, we are dead last in giving up passing yards so far. We've given up the most receiving touchdowns. We're at the bottom of the league in almost every defensive passing metric, advanced or standard. Talk to me after we see what Trubisky does to us next week. Speaking of that, Adam. Yeah, we got the Bears next week. The right? Bears are 2-0. Two, two and oh. That's not to say that they are better than the Falcons overall, but... You know, you win two games, you at least got to be somewhat respected. I would be ecstatic. Right. I'm sure Chicago's own is putting out a very positive show this week. Yeah, they haven't been 2-0 since 2013. And we, we, we didn't mention we haven't been 0-2 in Matt Ryan's era. No, we haven't been 0-2 since that Bobby Petrino season. That's concerning. Certainly. So at least they're coming to Atlanta. That's the good news. Um, and it'll be a true matchup of strengths, Adam, with the Bears secondary versus the Falcons receiving core. The Bears quarterbacks, Kyle Fuller and Jalen Johnson, have combined for a 44% completion rate and haven't given up a single touchdown and a sub-50.0 quarterback rating against, and they have combined for nine total pass breakups. So they'll be going up against Julio and Calvin. I'm sure some of them will line up with Russell Gage because I'm sure they like to mix and match the cornerbacks on receivers, so it's not just the same look every time, like unlike the Falcons like to do. But it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough sledding because the Bears have one of the better defenses in the league, and they also have a very good pass rush that has generated a lot of pressure uh, in their two games. So we're going to have our hands full. We're not going to be playing a, a, a very leaky Seattle secondary. And even though Dallas has a good secondary, they don't have the best front seven in the world. So the Bears kind of have, I think the Bears have the best defense that we've played so far. So it'll be a testament 
to this offense if they can put up anywhere close to what they put up last week against Dallas. How's the Bears' offense, though? Bears' offense Trubisky's is a whole lot different than Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott. True. Trubisky is not nearly as good. Trubisky has decent weapons in terms of having Tariq Cohen, uh, Jordan oh, Montgomery, or David Montgomery. Tariq Cohen. Tariq Cohen could, could kill us in this game because even though he's not utilized that much, he's still a very dangerous pass-catching back, and we suck at covering running backs out of the flat. David Montgomery is a decent running back, uh, you know, sort of their main running back, but is anything to write home about. Allen Robinson is a good receiver, but hasn't had a good year so far. He hasn't, I don't think he's broken 50 yards in any of the games they've played. The ex-Falcon, right? No, Adam, he was actually on the Jaguars and was traded to the Bears. I like how we look that stat up and you make me look like the, the dumb idiot. one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we were both the dumb ones. We are both the stupid ones. And now that you made that comment, I'll keep that in. We'll both look like idiots. All right, perfect. Well, despite... See, I saw an opportunity. I jumped on the football, unlike the Falcons last week. That's a good point, Graham. You stomped on their throat. Right. So I'll say I'm about over talking about the Falcons in general. But I still think we get a win this week. I have zero confidence in this team. I worry, once again, Allen Robinson hasn't had a big game. He's due to explode. Even though Mitchell Trubisky's arm is like a noodle and his balls look like limp ducks, I just can't, I just can't have any confidence, man. I can't have any confidence. Um, I think we'll probably do a good job containing the running game which has been decent this year. And I think it's going to be a much lower scoring game than our other two games so far. Like, I would be surprised if both teams eclipse 30 points. I think it's going to be close, but I can't openly say that we're going to win. I also can't openly say we're going to lose. This feels like a classic game where the Falcons, like, it reminds me of the, the game against the Dolphins a couple years ago where we lost all four games to the AFC East or whatever it was, where the Dolphins came in and the Bills, who were not playoff teams that year, and they came into our stadium and just beat us down and we looked like dog trash. I just feel like this is a dog trash kind of game. And it's also like, I think if you're, if you are, you know, the players who are actually performing on this team, it's like, what the fuck do we have to do in order to win here? I mean, the morale on this team has to be in the depths of hell. Well, especially for the offense. Yeah. The defense, you got to do better. That's what you got to do to win. Right. Like, there is some accountability on players, too. Absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's not just Dan Quinn is an idiot. There, is, there are a lot of issues with how the players are playing. I mean, for all we know, you know, we could be calling great defensive plays and Isaiah Oliver is just not doing his job. I mean, it could come down to that. But, you know, when the student fails, you have to look at the teacher at the same time. So, Still waiting for Dante Fowler sighting as well. Yeah, he's been – I know he did have that half sack with Grady against the Seahawks, but he was – you wouldn't know he was on the field last week. Todd Gurley is also not really impressed as much. He actually got a pretty steady load in this game as Dirk Cutter really tried to commit to the run a lot more than he did in week one. And Gurley had, I think, 21 carries for 60, 61, 62 yards, had no targets, no catches, did – you know – so he's like he's not factoring into the passing game so far, which is I think what I really hope we can turn that around, because as current intern Sam has mentioned before, Gurley has been able to be an explosive back out of the backfield. 
in terms of being a pass catching back. We just have not seen that yet. Yeah, we'll see how it goes, Graham. Uh, literally a make or break game for Dan Quinn. We go in three. You got to cut him. Yeah, if if he's here next week and we lose the game, like let's say we lose that ugly ass game, like twenty to fourteen or something, and he's still here. What what do you do as a fan if that's the case? I mean, we both know we're going to watch the games. Of course. But we'll be even more demoralized doing it. And, yeah, it's just once you can't even – once you can't trust your owner to make the decisions that are right for the franchise, that's a tough call. I mean, because it's one thing to draft the wrong players. There's hits and misses all over of the course. place. Can't but be perfect there. for something that is just so blatant to so many people, like – there's no way Dan Quinn's going to come back and lead us to 14-2 and two and win a Super Bowl this year and be like, oh, we're all wrong. Right. That's not happening. If that happens, you can chop my testicles off. Cool, cool, cool. I mean, that's just the thing. Like, Give, Give me Studio, there's some, some uh, loppers right we'll there. Facebook live it, man. That's how confident I am. that. So, yeah, 14-2, and two, Super Bowl win. Okay. Testicles, I'll remove my testicles. <laughs> well, that... That's something to look forward to. Exactly. If it happens, I mean, yeah. I guess it's a worthy sacrifice. There you go, Dan Quinn. But that's what you're they have for. to go 14 and 2. They can't go 7 and 9 or 9 and 7, sneak their way in the playoffs. 13 and 3? No. It has to be 14 and 2. Okay. They that's have to fair. be perfect for the rest of the year. You got to win it out. I think that includes at Kansas City later this year and at Green Bay. Yeah. And that's another thing I just want to bring up about Dan Quinn that really pisses me off. Which we already brought up the fact about bringing Sarkeesian in was not the right move. But we had the guy to take the reins from Shanahan within the organization and Matt LaFleur. Yep. And we let him get away. And now he's the coach of the Packers and they went to the NFC Championship game last year. And yet, no, we'll bring in a guy who has zero coaching experience in the NFL. And we just expect him to just run the offense that he's had no, he has no part in constructing with Shanahan, which Matt LaFleur was a huge part of constructing yeah, the Shanahan hell, offense. What, what the hell was that decision? Like, why? They said they didn't think he was ready to be a coach, like a offensive coordinator. And he went somewhere. He went, he went, he went to, to the Rams, the Rams, and the Rams had that historic offense that year. Yeah. This guy knows offense. Knows offense. And while we're at it, let's also talk about Raheem Morris was the wide receivers coach last year and then became the defensive coordinator. That's a weird What thing. the fuck? And he did it a hell of a lot better than Dan Quinn. Which just showed that Dan Quinn's not very good at being a DC anymore either. It's just unbelievable. It's just every single chance this guy has to do something, he fails. Well, maybe after going 0 and 3, Dan Quinn takes back defensive coordinator. It will get worse if that happens. I agree, but there's going to be something weird if he doesn't get fired. Yeah, and he, and he also fires Marquand Manuel and Sark when neither one of them can really be blamed for that 2018 season. Just this whole this whole operation he's got going, where he's got. Ulbrich calling first and second down and Raheem Morris calling third down? He did do that. He, he did put that in there last year, and it worked. I mean, the defense was a lot better when, when they did that overall. But sure as hell ain't working this year so but far. But I think it's just like all the, like they're going to figure it out at the end of the year again. That's what's so frustrating. Yeah. Because, you know, it's just going to be another wasted first half of the season, and then they're going to figure it out and look good. And you real, I mean, that's what's so frustrating is we have all this talent in the world. Just, you can't waste the beginning of the year. No. Like, these games mean a hell of a lot more than, if you know, like, like last year. Yeah, you went 6-2 and two at the end of the season, but you know what? It didn't matter at that point because you were 1-7. So, at least, 
I mean, one and seven is just so ridiculously bad. Yeah, like the fact he wasn't even fired then. We don't have to do much better than that, and we feel good about ourselves. No, give, give us three wins. Just fuck it. I'll take nine and seven. I'll take eight and eight. But you know what? You don't go to the playoffs this year. You're fired. Here, here, Drew. Yeah. Let's, let's move on. Let's to, move on. To talk about our actual. Let's talk about a team that actually has a chance to do matter. something with their lives. And your 2020 NL East division champions, the Atlanta Braves, who have now set the record for the most division titles in the history of baseball with 20. I know you don't care about division titles, Graham. I don't. But still have to acknowledge it. It's a hell of an accomplishment. Like, I won't say, like, I don't acknowledge it. It's just we've had so many good teams win the division so many times and do dick in the playoffs. And it's just like, I'm really sick of the sort of view of this organization has of these consecutive division titles. Like, yes, it's a great achievement, but you know what? The Marlins have more World Series than you do. So fuck, fuck off. Well, it certainly felt different this year, not only because of COVID. Like, if you watched the game last night, like, I, I, it's the first time I felt bad for the players in a while, even though they won the division, but it's like not having the fans there. Just makes it so less special for them, I would think. Right. Uh, had to be conscientious about how you're celebrating. Right. They're like not allowing champagne in the locker room and all this, but which you know what I kind of like because, like, I don't think we should be celebrating winning the division. Win, like, don't celebrate. You've done that two years in a row. You know, you've proven yourself. There's not that shouldn't be something to celebrate. You know, winning the division should not be a victory. Winning the division is an opportunity to achieve the ultimate victory, and that's how it should be viewed. It should be viewed as just another win, in my opinion, at this point. Because there's nothing special about winning the division and then fading away in the playoffs. This has to be corrected. We, these past sins must be rectified. Has to be. Must I mean, be. And li- listening to the players yesterday, you could tell, like even if they were allowed to celebrate, which I'm sure they would like to, because it still was hell for them to get to this point this year with – the season getting canceled and, you know, Freddie Freeman having COVID at the beginning of the year, yeah, losing but, your entire starting rotation. Like, no, it was, it's been it's a brutal year. A very great accomplishment that they made it this far. Yes. And there's a lot of teams that would love to be in our of course situation. I just don't want this to be like, you know, 2018 was one thing where it was like, oh, the rebuild's over. No, it's different. Division. It, no I'm, I'm on your page, Graham. It's, yeah. co- it's completely different this year. Yeah. Uh, but it's still something to be acknowledged. Sure. But... They're looking at it. As Ronald Acuna said, for me, it's World Series or bust. Freddie Freeman had a similar sentiment. Like, they understand this is a stepping stone. The players get it. They want more. It's not the 90s. We're not celebrating 14 consecutive division titles. Um, they're ready for more. And despite losing six starters and everything else that has gone wrong, this team still, they got something. Yeah, they, they have, got heart. They got gusto. They've got the best, one of the best offenses in the league, one of the best bullpens in the league, and we've seen a little something. I mean, we got Max Fried, who's in the Cy Young contention still, and we've seen enough out of Ian Anderson and now Kyle Wright as well to like give us some hope. Yeah, I think, especially Kyle Wright, it's been shocking in terms of his progression. How much sharper he looks, how much more economical he is in his pitch count, um, and just navigating a lineup. He's just learning how to navigate a lineup more than once, and that's the biggest, you know, change I've seen with him. Even Bryce Wilson last night had to pitch for Cole Hamill's Mr. $18 million for three innings pitched and did a hell of a job. So you know what? If you have to, you know, if you know, we actually get past a wild card round this year, which if that happens, I'm gonna cry. 
uh, just the fact that we can win a fucking playoff round. Um, but if that happens, there are no off days for the division series this year. So you're going to have to have four pitchers, and that's probably going to be your fourth guy at this point, especially he needs to pitch again on Sunday and prove that this wasn't a one-off. You think Bryce Wilson's going to be your fourth? Who else would be? Noah. I trust Noah more than Wilson. I like I liked Wilson's stuff more because it's not just two pitches, and he has a little more movement on his fastball. But how much? How many more times have you seen Bryce Wilson throw? He looked phenomenal last night, but when's the last time you saw him look that good? Never. Where, whereas Noah, even, but Noah's only had really one like great start this year. But so even Noah's like last start where he gave up three runs in the first. He, he, got, he gutted through. Yeah, I mean, he settled I down. trust Noah to gut through But more this poor Bryce bastard Wilson. keeps getting hurt. Pulls his back, I know, his cracks his thumbnail or fingernail yes. or whatever it is. But I, I think this postseason, I mean, this wild card round scares the hell out of me. So, I mean, we're looking at Freed and Anderson, obviously, game one and two. Yeah. And then probably bullpen game, game three. Like, if, if you're game three. I would throw Kyle Wright. You throw Kyle Wright. Why would you not? Because so, I don't want to start with, like, I don't want to open with Josh Tomlin. Why not open? If you open with Josh Tomlin, I only want him to pitch, like, an inning. Why not open with Shane Green? Shane Green. A true bullpen game, Graham. Oh, so you want to do, like, my strategy would have been against the Cardinals in the 2012 wildcard where I said start Kimbrell, throw him three innings, and then go, like, O'Flaherty, Venner's. And, and, like, do some weird Dude, shit. All, so you want to do something like that? All, all, okay. or, no, all I, or nothing. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, no, all of nothing. Like, for that wild card, yeah. yeah. If we make it to the NLDS, yes, Kyle Wright, 100%. Right. He's getting a start. But this third but, game. Yeah, no, you, you don't put Kyle Wright out there in essentially game seven. Okay. Like, I, I can understand You run that deep-ass bullpen that has proven himself all year. I think what you would do if you do that, and that excites me that you're bringing this up, because I remember I called into the... Oh, no. It was 2013 when we lost that first game against the Dodgers. And I said, hey, since we don't have anyone after Medlin who's really that good, why not do a bullpen game and start Kimbrell and work your way through the back end of your bullpen? Kimbrell, Carpenter, whatever. And Jim Powell said to me on the phone, on the air, that if Freddie Gonzalez did something like that and it blew up in his face, he would never be allowed to coach in baseball again. And now, (laughs) fast forward six years later, to last year, you got Tampa Bay opening games with the bullpen. Yeah. So, Jim Powell, way to not be a progressive thinker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I like that. I think if you do that, you have to be very scientific about how you construct that game. You got to look at the lineup, and you got to say, it can't just be, oh, throw out whoever. You got to look at the numbers, the stats against guys. You got to say, okay, who's the best guy to take on the top of the rotation or top of the order? Is it Melanson? Is it Will Smith? Is it Mitch? Like, who owns this lineup it all it's all about the matchups to me how you construct that because you could have potentially Melanson take on the top six guys you know throw two innings and then switch to a lesser bullpen guy for seven eight nine and then go back to a to someone better like you could do Melanson mentor Martin Green or something like that like you you could really but it's got to be like a mix and match in terms of who they're who you're projecting them to face. But we just got somebody like Jacob Webb. He looks great too. No, I know. Grant, I'm saying, Grant but, Dayton but like, you got to you got to use the math in order to put yourself in best position to win. You can't do that thing willy nilly. It's got to be very scientific. Oh, I agree. That, but I, I but I like the idea you, in spirit. You got to go that route. Like, 
a Kyle Wright, I and mean, he get, gets one more start, but like I still just don't think you can throw him out in essentially game seven. If you, but do you trust his stuff enough that you think he can succeed in the postseason? I do, but I think just with this team's history, and I mean he's had like three good starts at this point still. True. And he has, he has much the, less with, with that pressure. I mean that's a different thing. If it's a game three in an NLDS where we're maybe up two one or down one, it's it's a different scenario. Right. But this this freaking wild card round is freaking me out, man. I I like it in the sense that if you have a horrible first game, it's not over. You can rebound. You but can take for, the next. For two us, or three. it's all the tougher though because we it is. we've won the division. We shouldn't be in a wild card round. No, but everybody's. But as you said, Adam, when your sixty-game season argument, everybody's playing on the same. Everyone's in it. Field. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. No, I'm. I'm not saying I don't think we should be there, but yeah, it's just like for our setup where we are relying on our offense and bullpen, it's a tough one. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be really interesting to me to watch how this offense goes into the playoffs, in terms of who they're going to face, because let's be honest. The NL East and the AL East this year haven't had exactly the best starting rotations in the world. So if you have to face, right now we're slated to face the Reds. We have Trevor Bauer, who has a sub-2 ERA and is doing, having an exceptional season. you got this other guy down there, Castellini, who's <laughs> throwing damn 97 miles an hour. It's Luis Castillo. Whatever, Luis Castillo, who's a fucking flamethrower. And... You know, looks like he can be a goddamn born in October postseason kind of player. So it's like you're going to be facing much tougher and they have Sonny starting Gray, pitching. Who's also had a good year. And Sonny Gray. Yeah, so they the, – the, the Reds are scary. Yeah, I do not want to play the Reds. I want the I'm, Cardinals. I'm kind of afraid of the Cardinals in the sense that um, – the good news is Dakota Hudson, who's been having a good year for them, went on the – I think he's on the DL. So I think he might be done. But they still have Wainwright's having the season of his life at age 38. Like he's having an exceptional year. They still have, um, even though I know Jack Flaherty hasn't been as good this year. You know he's still dangerous. And they have uh, Kwang Hyun Kim, who's also having an, an exceptional year, who has a 1.59 ERA on the season. You're going to be facing some tougher pitching than you've been facing during the regular season overall. Here's the thing, Graham. I mean, we've seen this team take down Jacob Degrom. True. We've seen this team take down Garrett Cole. True. Strasburg. Frickin' uh, Scherzer. Right. Like, we have... No, no, they've proven themselves against tough We have tough an pitching. ability to hit great pitching. Yeah, I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying doing that night in and night out is going to be tougher. We've also had great teams in the past that have an excellent offense that just shit the, shit the bed in the playoffs because they face overwhelming pitching. For whatever reason, they just... Can't get it together. Here's so can this team do that? If this team, with this offense, plays like they are right now, there's there's nothing that can stop them from winning the World Series. If they continue to play like that, Ozzie Albies, unbelievable. Marcelo Zuna, unbelievable. Marcelo Zuna can win the Triple Crown, for Christ's sake. Freddie Freeman, unbelievable. Darno, the list goes on. Acuna, heating up. Uh, like, we have the best offense, I think, in baseball. And, and here's the thing. And can they do it in the playoffs, though? Also... A bit of a variable here. Freddie Freeman's never been this healthy going into the playoffs. Oh, yeah. You know, only playing 60 games. Like, he's hit his stride. He was saying last night, last year he had all those issues with the elbow and the wrist, and he just 
was nowhere close to 100%. And this year, he's feeling great. Only played 60 games. He's fresh. So, obviously, he's never felt like this at the end of a season. So, I think a lot of other players are going to feel the same way. Max Fried is going to be well-rested now after getting his little start off, which I kind of appreciate at this point. So, he pitches tonight that we're recording. Maybe need to work him in at some point or at least get him some work before next Wednesday because – Feel like a week is a long for him to long way for him to go. Well, here's the thing, right? The season's over Sunday. You don't want him pitching on four days rest in a meaningless game. So I think this is it for him. Get him some bullpen action. Yeah, get him bullpen Maybe pitch a simulated game yeah. or something like. But the guy's a. We've said it a million times. The, the guy's a bulldog. Yeah, he'll, he'll be ready. He'll show go. up to to be ready to rock and roll, and also hopefully rectify the decision that was made last year and not having him start for some fucking reason. So there we go. Even though he did pitch well out of the pen. Um, one other thing we haven't really gone in depth about Adam is Cole Hamels. Cole Hamels made his debut the night we recorded last week. Didn't pitch terribly through three innings. Looked pretty decent in the first two, and then the Orioles kind of got after him, got at him at the in the third. And we're like, okay, maybe it's something to build off of. Not trying to put too much stock into one start. And then was it yesterday or the day before? Shoulder soreness and shut down for the rest of the year. And Cole Hamels has just made $18 million throwing three innings. And Graham, you were correct on your prediction. I believe you said that in the offseason when I was all happy about it. Kept thinking Cole Hamels was going to be our savior. I was wrong. But maybe it's a positive. Maybe he would have gotten blown up because we would have forced him into that game three if he said he was healthy. Yeah, that would have been a classic, like, Oh, we got the veteran, the the world's the 2008 World Series MVP. That's what I kept saying. It's like, you know, if you signed Cole Hamels in 2010, fuck, I'm ecstatic. But it's 2020, man. The guy's past his prime. He's injury-prone as hell the last two seasons. When he's only still a good pitcher, but, you know, he's not going to be bolstering a rotation very effectively because we're just going to be able to depend on him because his health has been so suspect. And for once, I was right. So I'll take that to the grave. Even when we've won 18 World Series in 2064, and I'll be bitching about this to you on episode <laughs> 4,000 of the podcast or whatever it is at that point. And you're like, but Graham, we've won 18 World Series since then. I'll be like, it was still a bad decision. And Topless is in the Hall of Fame as the best GM of all time. Well, you know, it was, um, it was, not, it was still not a good call by that goddamn Topless. God rest his soul. <laughs> How are you even still alive, Graham? Well, I just keep drinking liquor, bud. <laughs> you let Dr. Liquor do the thinking. Exactly. Maybe that's one reason I've been so cogent on this episode is no liquor. Oh, I was happy to see you not show up with your liquor bag. I don't think that would have been... You still got really upset during the Falcons, but I thought the Hamels thing was going to be a whole deal. Oh, no. I mean, like I said, I, I, I saw it kind of coming and whatever. And that's also especially with the luck of this rotation this year. You kind of there's a part of me that just wants to put everybody in a fucking bubble and say, you know, don't don't do anything. Like almost don't pit. Like I don't know, is there a way to bring up um, Tucker Davidson or some other pitcher hasn't thrown this year and just let them have at it for it's the rest of the time? It's such a fine line, though. I mean, at this point, it's like you don't want to see what we saw last year when they rested a bunch of people before the playoffs and the the offense wasn't there. And yeah, that's true. I mean. I think just 
it's not like they've pitched 160 games and need to rest. I think you just let it keep rolling at this point. Yeah, I think Duvall, at least my fantasy app alerted me that Duvall and Darnell were out of the lineup tonight. Yeah, I know that Ender and Echevarria were both in. but And those are only bench players, so. I think that – we have we even talked about the Panda on the podcast? We did not talk about the Panda. Once again, Alex Anthopoulos, this is the third, like, once amazing player he's dug out in his tenure. First was Jose Bautista, then Cole Hamels, now Pablo Sandoval. And I think it's hilarious that he keeps getting these retreads to, 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 to come to Atlanta. But, yes, we've signed Pablo Sandoval to a minor league deal. That's going to be hilarious if he makes the playoff roster. Well, he is a playoff legend. I mean, yeah. all three of those World Series that the Giants won in 2010, 2012, and 2014, he was a major contributor to those championships. Since we have no bench anymore, he might as well put him on the playoff roster. We, don't, we won't need as many pitchers, you wouldn't think, at least in the wild card series. I don't know. We need more of a bench than Echevarria and Ender. Yeah, but that covers your infield and outfield. And Sandoval has just been such a, you know, such a poor player the last couple of seasons, seasons especially. It's just, it's almost not, I don't know. Like, who who would you demote? I mean, you got to go with Tomlin. I don't know. No, you got to keep Tomlin. Are you kidding? That's your boy. Well, you swore by Josh but, Tomlin. But there's like, if you don't need a Grant Dayton in the playoffs and you do want a power bat off the bench from the left side... Grant Dayton's you can you can demote, but I will die on Josh Tomlin's hill. And I cannot believe you just said that you'd want to potentially demote Josh Tomlin for the washed-up player that is Pablo Sandoval. I was brainstorming. Point. I was thinking of players we hopefully won't need. I think we will need Tomlin, particularly if we have that bullpen game you're talking about. It's going to happen. Yeah. And I do. if like Ian Anderson blows up yeah, you got his him. start, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're right. Got to have Tomlin. We'll see. We don't need to devote much time talking to Pablo Sandoval. Yeah, it's probably a non-sequitur at this point. But he could hit a Rick, Rick Ankiel-esque home run. That was one of my favorite Braves memories, Rick Ankiel in game was the game three of the 2010 NLDS against the Giants. I was at Wingen and in Clemson, South Carolina, losing my mind. Yeah, that, was, that was so much fun. I My parents had both fallen asleep, and I was just sitting on the couch watching the game, praying hoping that we would come back somehow because we were down like four or five to one and just chipped away chipped away chipped away somehow came back man keel sends one into the damn bay to take the lead it was like, and good, like the 13th inning or something crazy like that it's the good old days where you're just at at a bar with random strangers hugging them left and right high-fiving every hand that you can see right not a concern in the world about any sort of germs even though all these guys probably haven't washed their hands all night Sure. You don't think about things like that. All you no. know is Rick and Keel hit the longest home run you've ever seen in your life. And even if it wasn't... And Troy Gloss is playing third third base. He was. And even if it wasn't the longest home run you've ever seen in your life, you sure as hell felt like it was. Because it was such a magic moment. Hopefully we get one of those this, this postseason, Graham. That would be cool. I'm ready to see Ozuna unleashed in the postseason. I know he's already unleashed in general, but just like I want him to just wreak absolute havoc. I want him to play his way out of Atlanta so we can win a World Series. Like I want him to get a, a $175 million contract because he's the postseason hero and also wins the, potentially will win the Triple Crown this year. Good news is we clear up some money with uh, Cole Hamels leaving. Yeah. Yeah, at least we didn't sign him to a multi-year deal. We, that w- I would have been a lot more upset if we had done that. We can afford to sign someone big like that. No. 
Well, Adam, I guess the last thing we have to touch on is some internal housekeeping. Mm. Let's talk about the other item we have in terms of our seemingly revolving door of interns. I think I'm going to let you take this one, Graham. Oh, no. I couldn't. Well, I'll, I'll start it, as I generally do. Yes. Intern Sam, we got we to gotta let you go, man. Yeah. <laughs> For, I think you've lasted probably longer than multiple interns. Def- to- probably longer than Katie. Longer than Katie. I mean, we've probably I, longer than Jared's second stint. I've definitely hired and fired Jared like within a day or two before. Right. But intern Sam, we just can't have someone with so much complete negativity about Matt Ryan. I understand wanting more out of Matt Ryan every now and then. Yeah. And but, he has made some boneheaded plays. I can think of two off the top of my head. San Francisco 49ers NFC Championship game. He fumbled a snap that was right to him when we were in the red zone. Inexcusable. Awful. Terrible. I'll never forget that. I remember because I was at the game especially just how much that gutted me because we were going to score. If we had scored three more points, we would have won that game and gone to the Super Bowl. Awful. But I, I believe intern Sam sent a text. His first text about that football game was blaming Matt Ryan. Yeah, the Cowboys game. Which there's 12 things to blame before Matt Ryan. Yeah. Let's blame the guy that threw four touchdowns and also threw what should have been the dagger to the heart to score the 39th point of the game. Matt Ryan is the only player in NFL history to have five games with a 125 quarterback rating and over 250 yards thrown and to lose, including this past game, including the Super Bowl. So Matt Ryan's not the problem. He's a saint. We're lucky to have him. Intern Sam... We gotta let you go. Yeah, we'll keep it there. So yeah, that was well said. Applications are out. Uh, well, you, we 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 would need to get an application from you if you want to be an intern. Yeah, there are no. Yeah, you have to send us your own application. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know who else is out there. It's a tough job to hold down. It really is. We're we're very you know you can't really speak your mind around us. Intern Jared, if you're listening, you'll probably get the job back. Kind of miss you. We'll see where that goes. Indeed. We'll make a decision before next week. Sure. We'll announce it uh, Yeah, on the next podcast. So, next week, everyone, we will be talking Atlanta Braves baseball playoff preview show, as we've done the last three years. And we'll also recap the Chicago Bears-Falcons game in excruciating and agonizing detail. Hopefully, it's a much happier show, as this last few days has really made me question my sanity as an Atlanta sports fan. We hope you're staying safe out there. We hope you're doing well. Thank you for listening, however, and wherever you're listening to the show. Until next time, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer, believe in blue land, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitometer sip. Hospitometer sip.